0: Today, well, tonight, whatever time of day it is, uh, we are going to be doing something a little bit different. Um, we have two moderators, uh, myself and Chicky. Uh-oh. <laughs> Yay! Hooray. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, So, I don't know why we planned it this way, because I would have preferred to have drunk first.
1: <laughs>
0: right. That's so Chicky
1: arranged it.
0: <laughs> this is what happens when she has to share the spotlight, you guys. She's got to drink more. Yep, <laughs> I can't. Oh yeah. Anyway, but then I got to sober up for my chapter. Um, so <laughs> what we're gonna do then is uh, spoiler warnings. Um, so in case you don't know by now, we do spoil everything. Now you know. I guess I should introduce you guys. Uh, let's do uh, YD first.
1: Hi everyone, this is YD. and You can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr
0: and Chicky hi this is chicky i'm chicken on tumblr <laughs> and uh, we have two guests uh, glam
2: hey this is glam you can find me at Glamavonic on tumblr and
0: sandwiches hi i'm sandwiches and you can
3: find me at sandwiches yum
0: yum on tumblr and i'm lady of tarth hyphen posts on tumblr also known as lot okay so we're gonna start with uh your chapter are we not Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I can take it away. You have to follow me, buddy. But, but, can start drinking now. I'm just going to pour myself a glass,
4: get cozy. Is she even going to talk, or is she just going to listen? Yeah, this will be fun.
0: <laughs> Reading a magazine. <laughs> <laughs>
4: well, I feel really on the spot now. All right, so... <laughs>
0: we Took you opened... What chapter did we read? I know.
4: Which one is this? Jamie or Brienne? I don't even know. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> this chapter opens um, with uh, Brienne and Pod traveling uh, back to Maidenpool from The Whispers, and this time they're traveling with The illustrious Hyle Hunt, um, who has taken trophies from the guys that Brienne killed. I love this, you guys. Much to her chagrin. Yeah, she hates it because he cut their heads off, and, like, they're rotting and apparently smelling, and they have, like, maggots on them, and Brienne keeps telling him to bury them, and he's refusing to do it. This is just, like, such a Hyle Hunt kind of thing to do. (laughs) What do you mean, douchey? I do mean douchey. I mean douchey and obstinate, yes.
3: Now, I have oh, to sorry. point out, gun-
1: yeah, we may have a bit of a difference of opinion here because I know Glam has very strong hate feelings toward Hile. Oh. I, Hile was hater.
0: Gonna, I was going to save my Hile discussion for later, but I might have to jump yeah, in. Yeah, we'll do it. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> the I don't like this not being moderator. I've <laughs> yeah, lots she, of She's before. ready to fight. <laughs> <laughs> I can wait.
4: I love this how they're how they're <laughs> coming toward Maidenpool and Brienne is thinking to herself how she's sure that Hile is going to take credit for the guys that she killed and um, it's so funny that when they actually get in front of Randall Tarly um, he doesn't he not only doesn't take credit for her kills he kind of fangirls both her and Podrick a little bit and I remember this being a surprise to me at the time I don't know what you yeah. guys thought about it
1: yeah no it was. Me too, but you know what's really concerning is that he says, from what he says, it sounds like he kind of just sat back and watched as she fought all three of them. I'm like, dude, why didn't you step in? he totally sat back and watched. He
4: did.
0: Because a he did. Douche. No. Because he was in. Uh oh. He was a tar. He was He's totally digging the scene playing out before him. I like to I make, he says to Tarly that, like, the way she fought, she could have killed three more. Yeah, he's gone full fangirl at this point. It <laughs> is, is kind so of funny. He's so
1: fangirling. He's so fangirling.
0: Tarly, he wasn't having any of it. He was, like, uh, he was like the Valerian Steel did it, not her. Like, he would not give up. Oh, yeah, it was Oathkeeper, credit. not Brienne.
1: <laughs> By the power of Jamie's sword.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Tarly's a douche canoe anyway
1: he <laughs> is well he's the king
4: douche that's it maybe this is why maybe this is why Heil doesn't look so bad here is I'm because
0: Randall Charlie is such a douchebag yeah,
2: yeah,
1: no yeah, like
0: yeah we can yeah, all agree Charlie's douche numero uno Glenn,
1: Glenn has enough hate in her heart for both of them <laughs> she,
2: can, she can blanket them both with her hate um, I, will, I will save my defenses of myself for later
4: okay okay <laughs> Okay, so
2: I love this how
4: oh God, Randall Tarley is just such a piece of work. So he of course wants to send Brienne back to Tarth. Um it's it's one of the first things that he says. He's like, Okay, well, let's get you, you know, back into ladies' clothes and back to Tarth where you
0: belong. And Brienne <laughs> Don't you love it? Or she just flat out says no. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think he's used to I, I- that a lot.
3: Did we have
1: our standard rape uh, trigger warning? Because there may be rape discussion in these chapters. Oh, God.
4: Yes. Uh, there probably is going to be some rape There's discussion here. I rape am rape very sorry. Right
0: now yeah, it's because, just a
4: typical yeah, it's been, podcast for us. And really.
0: Everybody out here. <laughs> yeah. Here we go again.
4: Yeah, but uh, it, it's interesting um, that it is randall tarley who's telling her she ought to go home to tarth and then he kind of tries to scare her into doing that by talking about the outlaw situation that's going on she says she intends to go looking for sander who she thinks has sansa and um randall tarley launches into this thing about the outlaws that are out there he mentions beric dondarrion he mentions thoris of myr and he actually name drops Stoneheart for the first time. I don't know if he calls her Lady Stoneheart, but it's Stoneheart. And I think this is the first time we hear her mentioned in um, yeah. A
0: Feast for Crows, trying to scare Brienne away. He says "This woman Stoneheart. Yeah, and With I don't contempt, think, I'm sure. I don't, <laughs> even, I don't think I ever even remember thinking too much of it on the first read. Well, off. you wouldn't. Yeah, it's yeah. such a
4: slow build with that when, you, when you're first hearing it. So Brienne, as is typical of um, nobility at the time, asks to stay, um, asks for lodging with um, Randall Tarley well, This is a normal thing. You know, Nobility would stay with other nobility rather than in an inn. And he actually denies her hospitality. He won't let her stay under his roof. And this is another moment where Hal Hunt kind of surprises you because he actually argues with Randall Tarley, who is basically his boss, his
1: yeah, he his really orb. does. It's, I've got to say, I do, I do start liking Kyle more and more throughout this chapter um, because it does take a fair amount of courage. To stand up to Randall Talia, I'm sure. Although Hyle does kind of strike me as a type to just say whatever's on his mind, whatever's on his mind, regardless of the consequences. But still, he does actually take a stand here for Brian, which I think was nice.
0: Yeah, I like that bit too because he has this like moment where he actually tells him and reminds him, oh, uh, this actually isn't your roof." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't do it politely as one might. He basically, you know, kind of insults him and says, "Hey, this isn't even your land, buddy."
4: Naturally, it's Randall Tarley. He's going to be just an absolute dick about whatever he's doing.
3: He really is, though. He, he's actually so bad that he makes Hunt look like basically low-rent Jamie. Yeah, he does, yeah. <laughs> Jamie Light. You <laughs> um, <laughs> Jamie Light. And, yeah, he's a horrible... I, I mean, he says, I will not suffer you beneath my beneath my roof, which I think is... Um, it's pretty cutting. I, I mean, that's one of the nice, nicer things he says. Um, obviously, there are details... Yeah. Of his I, conversation about the yeah, he goes he actually goes on to talk about Brienne's dad and says,
1: you know, you know, I hear that your dad's a good man, so I pity him because
0: He calls her <laughs> a freak. No one,
1: he, yeah, he calls her a freak. He says, No man deserves to be cursed with such as you He says, Live or die, Lady Brienne He, he doesn't really care. He said, Don't return here while I rule.
0: I had another thought too, like maybe Tarly has such a venom towards Brienne because in a way Maybe he it doesn't sit well with him that this daughter, this girl, is like m- more of a well a man in his eyes than even what his <laughs> son is.
4: Oh, interesting point. Maybe <laughs> yeah, this is that, a little that, too maybe. close to home for Randall's Harley. That may be true. <laughs>
3: yeah,
0: <laughs> just a little thought I had. I no one's going to call Brienne a coward. Thinks. Yeah, it does no, sound no, like something he'd
1: And poor Brienne when she's faced with all this disdain. Just telling herself, words are wind, words are wind, they can't hurt you, let them show over you, which I find so devastating. And you know this is something she has to do on a daily basis, pretty much.
4: What else can she do to survive? So yeah. <laughs> finally she gives up. And yeah, she does kind of say, What is it she says? She's like, People like him will never love me, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, she gives up and Heil um actually kind of grabs her um as she's leaving and says, um, my cousin uh, was hunting for Sandra Clegane. I'm going to go ask him what he knows about where Sandra might be, and let's meet tomorrow at... Um, it's too bad Eon isn't here because it's at her favorite inn, <laughs> which is the Stinking Goose. Where's <laughs> the pube wine.
1: Come one and all, we'll put <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We'll put pubes in your wine and serve
4: you greasy food. (laughs) Totally. It's a great tagline, really. (laughs) Yum. (laughs) So Brienne and Pod set off, and they try to find somewhere to stay, and they can't find anywhere. They end up staying in a ship in the harbor. And um, George Martin drops one of his uh, little kind of uh, teasers here, where... um, Brienne sees uh, a ship setting off that is the type called the Titan's Daughter, which we yeah, all know is the ship that Arya is on. I mean, Arya, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. baby. <laughs> George loves to do this shit. He, you know, she in knows. Brienne's last chapter, he kind of teased because, of course, Brienne went um, over the Brune lands, and of course, L- Lothar Brune, who is from there, um, is is uh, Littlefinger's right hand man in the Vale. He kind of likes to drop these little hints that, oh, you think maybe Brienne will stumble into um, huh. the whereabouts of Sansa or Arya yeah. some of the time, and, and she never does. It's just a big tease. <laughs> uh, so they, they they find a ship to stay on, and um, the next day Brienne is intent on, on continuing to search for Sander when she meets Hyle Hunt at the lovely Stinking Goose, and I love how Hyle walks in, and he, he sees that she and Pondrick have been eating food at the Stinking Goose, and he's like, you didn't
0: eat here, did you? Ew!
1: Yeah,
0: I wrote that line down, too, because so,
1: like, I don't
0: <laughs> Please know. Please tell me.
1: I'm really, Please like, tell me you did eat here. What's, what's uh, you know, a little sad again here? That brienne is you know sitting there having her breakfast, and she just expects that Heil isn 't coming. she mm-hmm. just assumes it 's just another jape, which it really does speak to brienne 's frame of mind about trusting people and I think we just went or we, we just went past this bit, but the previous night Brienne had a lot of bad dreams, one of them was um, you know about the killing, and she awakes, thinking that Nimble Dick was coming to kill her, so you can really see this this her mistrust of him and, and even her failure protect to protect him is really playing on her mind and I think Chicky said something really um interesting last week about how Really, her journey with Nimwood was all about her mistrust of men and, and of people
0: and learning to trust, and it's obviously still very much playing on her mind, yeah, not only that, but she 's like dealing a lot too with the the deaths the the, the guys she killed like she 's having all these nightmares um.
1: yeah, I think ki- killing them has really deeply affected her, and we did talk last week again about how her uh, her old master at arms thought that she had too soft a heart to to really to kill a man, which, you know, she does end up being able to do, but it's really deeply emotionally affecting her, I think.
4: It really is. I mean, Brienne feels things so deeply. And it is true she's almost there are times she almost borders on paranoia. It's almost a slight echo of what's going on in, in the Cersei chapters where she's just convinced that everyone is out to get her, um Obviously, she has a bigger handle on it. I would but say yeah. she's more
0: merit yeah. to her paranoia. <laughs> she <laughs> certainly does, yeah, particularly yeah. where Hyle is concerned.
2: Yes. Yeah, I would say yes. that he distrusts. You have to think about, okay, why Brienne had, no longer feels that she can trust men and why she particularly would expect Hyle to say, oh, yeah, I'll show up and, you know, tell yeah. you this information and then not show up. Because let's think about, you know, why she would expect that of him. The douche.
1: Oh, yeah, she has. <laughs> <laughs> not, not just Hyle. She really does have every right to to be mistrustful of people. I mean, really, who has who actually done right by Brienne in her life? Not really anyone except maybe Jamie.
0: Maybe Jamie. Uh,
3: exactly.
1: <laughs> maybe Jamie. Anyway, so we're respect, at the sinking Hiles. Yeah. and Hyle's, Hyle's come to insult Yeah, him. so
4: Hyle comes with, with good information. He comes and tells her that he's found out that um, – Sander, well, the hound, as they're saying, um, has sacked the salt pans basically, and that that is the place to find him. Um, and Hyle tells her that there's a Septon who travels um, along the Trident who would, would know the way to get there. And um, he says, We're going to go with him. And Brienne is like, We? <laughs> There's no we here. Right. <laughs> um, and we find out that Hile has basically been sacked or fired by um, Randall Tarley. And we don't really know what goes on, but one thing that Hile does tell us is that um, Randall Tarley told him that Brienne would benefit from a good hard raping. Ugh. Um, yeah. so you you kind of can imagine whatever the conversation was. You kind of have the impression that Heil did stand up for her. I mean, it's hard to know yeah. it's coming from Heil. So
0: <laughs> you know I don't have that impression. You don't you don't think it was that? You think he just What do you was, think, was, yeah. yeah. What do you think happened? I I
2: think that, you know, I don't think he was like, Oh, how dare you say that about Brienne? I think <laughs> I think Randall Tarly is a dick, and Kyle is a dick, and um... Agreed! Hile doesn't know when to shut his mouth, and Randall Tarly was tired of it. Like, he even says that he Tarly told him he was tired of his insolence. I think and said wanna... dick more than I did the whole last episode. And he didn't want to go back to guard duty.
3: Yeah. So, you know... It's-
4: it's probably a combination of things. Yeah, you can you can oh. you can tell in the previous little scene with with Randall and, and Heil that there is some friction already probably there between them. Yeah. Um and no doubt it was not a nice mission that Heil was sent on to follow Brienne. I'm sure that was a pretty degrading mission for him to be sent on, so they probably weren't on great terms to begin with. But yeah. It's hard to know. I mean certainly Heil wants us to think that it was because he was defending Brienne that he was fired. So oh, Heil I wants to go
3: up. sorry, go ahead. Oh. Uh, well, I was thinking there's obviously another thing as well. I mean, because at the end of the day, Brienne is a catch in terms of land because he's a hedge knight. Oh, and of course. So there, there is a thought that he could have, as as Glenn said, he could have just gone, you know, yeah, I don't want to do guard duty. I've got a chance here because he, mm. he thinks quite well of himself. So he could be just like, yeah, I reckon I can charm my way back into yes, a good That look. is true. He
2: absolutely wants to charm his way in back into Brienne's good graces. And then of course he even says himself, you know, and she's looking for Sansa Stark. So there'll be a reward for that too.
1: Yeah. Uh, which is fun. Yeah. Which Brienne- which Brienne then thinks, she thinks, oh, he's just after gold or glory. And she tells him that he's not going with her. And then I think the next line is, they left the next
0: morning. Yeah, it, is. it is, yeah. It's like you miss the argument, it's just happening. <laughs> it's like a perfect moment when you would cut, like in a sitcom or something. And <laughs> yeah. there they are traveling down the road. <laughs> <laughs> say what you want about Hyle, but he did go the extra mile. Oh, God, that rides
4: <laughs> It really did run. I job. did do
0: that on purpose. Um, I was going to say that he problem. bought, like, when he came to the inn at the st- uh, to meet Brienne, he actually had a map and everything with, like, all the lands laid out and all these different sightings. Like, he is in it. Like, he's ready to he go. He's
1: so ready. He's so ready to go. He's so prepared. <laughs>
4: Yeah, so they set off um, the next morning with um, Septon Maribald. Um, dog. Yay! I,
3: Sorry, yeah. I, I just have to say, I'm a fan of his oranges. Just that. <laughs> I'm a fan of Septon Maribald's oranges. Even if he's profligate with them, I love them. He'd be just a sexy convert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. Anyway. with oranges.
4: <laughs> they are off. They're off into the Riverlands with Septon Maribald, who is an interesting character in his own right. He is a uh, Brienne describes him as a Septon without a sept. He's basically like a traveling priest. Um, would be the analog to kind of a, a more familiar vernacular in the real world. And um, he is. Uh, we come to find out someone with a really interesting history, and that's kind of what we dig through as they wander through. Um, some of the backwaters, basically, of the Trident, and this is one of those situations, and we've talked about this before, where Brienne is um, playing a, a pair of eyes right now, and kind of giving us a glimpse into um, part of the the world of Westeros, and also some of the consequences of what's been happening in the world of Westeros. Some of the consequences of war. Um, people talk a lot about how, um, in the previous two books, Arya's chapters really kind of served this purpose of of letting you know. How the wars have affected the common people and what what they refer to as the small folk. And now Brienne's fulfilling that role. So we kind of see her travel through some of the smaller villages here. Um, And we get to learn a little bit more about Septon Meribald. We find out he wasn't always such a great priest. Now he's a a guy who brings food to the poor and... um, you know, really seems to be.
1: He talks about how
0: he's deflowered all these messages. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
4: yeah, okay. he seems committed now, but it sounds like
0: he has a little bit of a hairy past. As I like Yeah, He described how he would seduce girls um, from the small villages with recitations of the maiden's books. Yeah. Like, had oh. yeah, game back in the day. <laughs> nothing you know nothing like really using
4: those to... holy texts to, to seduce <laughs> some people.
3: <laughs>
0: That's hot.
1: Chicks dig it. Um, James really me really off. Like, of time. <laughs> <laughs> he he doesn't wear shoes on his feet, and Pod I think points that out. And um sat then talked about how he he prayed. He doesn't wear sho- he doesn't wear shoes, but um I think he's uh, sort of as a penance, I guess, for his his past. And he said he he prayed to the cobbler above. Uh, to turn his skin to leather, and he did. Um, So they start talking about the Seven, and Pod says that he's favourite of the Seven as a warrior, and then Captain Mirabold says that he's a Smith. Um, And he has this really nice little bit of dialogue that, you know, he talks about why he loves the Smith, and because without his labour there would be nothing for the warrior to defend. Um, and I just—I really like it. It's sort of a little bit of wisdom from an older man who's who's lived, he's travelled, he's seen the way the world, world works. And he knows that the warriors are the ones who get the glory, but there are also the unsung heroes too. They're the, the people that kind of work behind the scenes to make everything run. And without them, warriors would have nothing to protect, as he says. And Brienne is really one of those people, because despite being a warrior... She's somewhat of an unsung hero herself. She spends her time protecting this world that has shown her very little but scorn and derision. And she's very rarely thanked for it or even noted for it. Um, you know, we saw in the last chapter how Brian stepped in to save that farmer's wife from being raped. Despite the fact that the wife was uh, not treating her very nicely throughout their journey. And despite being outnumbered, I think, 12 to 1, and then Heil saunters up, says a few words to the knights, and he's the one that gets thanked by the, the farmer the for saving his wife. So for the most part, Brienne's heroic deeds are, are ignored. So I did like the way that Mirabold talks about the smith and how he is maybe not the hero of the piece, but he's so important um, anyway.
4: Yeah, it is good. It, well, and it's something... You know it's interesting when you hear George Martin talk about his books. Um, you know he 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 deliberately chose to tell um, the tales of the more highborn people, and it's not that there aren't some lowborn POV characters or, or significant characters, but um, it's very clear that you know the highborn people is, are people are the kind of the ones who drive um, the actions yeah. and the the big moments and this is one of those times where um, George kind of takes a time out and says, but you, you you know, just because I'm talking about something else doesn't mean you should forget how this affects everyone else. And that all these regular people are being heavily affected by, you know, this Mm -hmm. game of Thrones essentially. And we move into that here where we find um, they're in a small village and they hear that there are some, um, what they refer to as broken men about Mm -hmm. who the villagers are afraid of and that that they're cautioned about. And um, it really launches an interesting speech when, Podrick asks Brienne um what a broken man is um one of
1: my absolute favorite things ever in this entire series I have to say is speech by Septon Merble <laughs> well it's a very f- it's a white, very
4: yeah it's a very famous passage in in A Song of Ice and Fire it's it's regarded by many as as Martin's best work in this series um because it it's 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 really the language is simple. It's just the the concepts and the way that it's laid out is is really beautiful. And it talks about what leads these broken men who are essentially deserters to become um, essentially outlaws, and and how you know basically the system <laughs> fails them, and that's that's how they end up that way. And it's just a really good. Reminder that, hey, you know, you need to think about the common people just because I'm not talking about yeah. them doesn't mean that they yeah. don't exist and that they don't matter. Um,
1: well, you're right. I mean, in, in broad strokes, it is a speech about, as you've been saying, the ravages of war, the toll it inflicts on the common people. Um, and I guess how it's about how small folk are, are taken from the only homes they ever knew to go and fight the battles of the noblemen, of men who don't really care about them. And they're they're farmers, they're fishermen, they're they're simple folks, they don't know how to fight, they don't go into the war properly outfitted, they're not properly armed, and they are essentially used as pawns in games of men who who care little about them. Yeah, and it's great, you know, because sometimes people get hung
4: up when they're reading um, A Song of Ice and Fire on... The idea that someone's cause is noble or just, you know, people get really behind the idea of, of Rob um, bringing all these Northmen down south and, and grabbing his uncle in the Riverlands and, and kind of wrapping everyone up into this war um, to get vengeance for his father and his sisters and to try to get them back. And, you know, you don't stop to think <laughs> for, for the lives of three people, how many lives have been lost and affected, you know, I mean, exactly.
0: yeah. It's yeah, really yeah. a brilliant synopsis of like what George's books are all about, and it's kind of um, the, the cost of war, you know, like any what, well, war. That,
3: what, oh, sorry, sandwiches were you saying something? Yeah, I was um, I was just going to say, one of the interesting things about it, because that, that section is just beautifully written, but just before they come into the village, there's a really interesting se- section with Brienne as well, where basically... Um, She's comparing these marshlands effectively to Tars, and um, mm. she's thinking of home and the beauty of it. But she's, in, but um, they're walking through streams and there are frogs and things, and she she finds beauty in that too. And I think that's an interesting co- contrast to when when we end up in this talk about these broken men, because of course she isn't broken yet. Effectively. Yeah.
4: exactly <laughs> oh. <laughs> but she is very much someone without a real without real allegiance, you know she 's bounced around, she actually is someone who 's had this happen to her. what you know Septon Maribald is obviously it 's obviously a very autobiographical speech that he 's giving, but he kind of tries to make it sound universal at the same time where he 's talking about his that own experiences
0: is- and I love that, that is bit like where they parts where um,
1: Brienne realizes that he 's actually talking from his own experience and she asks him. What, it, what did she say? How, how old I'm were you actually. when you went off to war or whatever? I think that was a truly poignant moment.
0: Yeah, she picks up on it, right? And it's, it, it is poignant because there's this a silence that they describe that falls amongst them. For yeah. And then finally really, she just says, so, you know, how old were you when you went off to war? And yeah. he says, no older than Pod. Oh, it's a really
1: beautifully written speech. It's simple language, but it is thematically very heavy and emotional and it's really just really beautifully done i think
4: it really is i know i know yeah. so much on podcasts we try to serve jamie's story and Brienne's story individually and then we try to serve kind of their story together but this is one of those times where even though this yeah. really isn't a lot about them it's it's hard to cover this chapter and not talk about this beautiful beautiful passage
1: <laughs> yeah no, so forgive it, us for going you know, on <laughs> Yeah, and I just, can I just mention one more thing? It's not just important, I think, for providing context for the the wider war, I guess, and its effect on small people uh, small people, small folk—it um, really also sort of drives home the, the recurrent theme of shades of grey that the series is so good at portraying. Mm. Um, you know, good men do terrible things because of circumstance, because of war, to protect the people they love, like Jamie does, to simply stay alive, and. You know, it really shows you how morality isn't linear. People don't fall neatly onto a scale where evil at one end and good or the other. We have the capacity for both, and we'll more often not be both. So, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot in this space. I just, I really, really enjoy it. There is,
4: and it is ripening you up to uh, feel a little sympathy for outlaws, too, which is probably going to come into play later, so... Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, well, unless anyone else has anything
3: else to say about... Oh, um, one thing I really did enjoy. This is one of my favorite chapters when it comes to Pod. Um, I know Aww. it's a silly thing, but he's just so damn cute in it. You know, um, basically, <laughs> um, when Hyal Hunt says, Oh, Podrick's eyes are as big as boiled eggs. And, and um, you know, and when he's talking about the dog being called Dog and finding it... Yeah! Good, I just... He's just such a boy in this. And I think, um, uh, as somebody who watches the show as well as read, read to the books, sometimes you find that one character from one seeks into the other. And that certainly happened with Pod sometimes. But it's just so great to reread this and remember he's just a tiny boy. Yeah, yeah so he's like 12,
0: right?
3: It makes he... yeah. what happened
1: in the last chapter uh, even better, the way he actually protected Brienne or tried to protect yeah. Brienne. Um, by drawing rocks and saying, I can fight, I can fight. He's, yeah, he's, he's pretty impressive.
0: The only other thing I wanted to add, in case of anyone anyone who's listening was curious about, um, Heil did ask him uh, what war, he said, was it the War of the Nine Penny Kings? And his response was, never saw a king nor earned a penny. It was war, though, that it was. Oh, so, it was yeah. the War of the Nine he's,
3: Kings. He's got, good,
0: he's got good lines for septim Meribald. And He does. does. He's so wise, guys. Like, you don't even know. No,
1: he's so wise, and he used to be
0: a player. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so? Lot, well, you can have the spotlight now. It's all you do. Right. keep breathing
1: a sigh of relief. No, she is.
0: She's back <laughs> in charge. Here we go. Hush up, hush up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, Um. so with, uh, no, I'm at the wrong spot. No, I am at the right spot. Jamie 3, if he's for crows. So we um, see Cersei. Um, she's set aside her morning clothes and she's no longer in black. Um, she's planning to send Jamie away. He doesn't want to go and tells her his place is beside Tommen. He also tells her he promised to never take up sword against Stark or Tully again. Um, Cersei says what we've all been pretty much saying this whole time. And it's, you know, it was a drunken promise made with a sword at your throat. So <laughs> Cersei just cuts to the chase there. <laughs>
1: But not before
4: um, really giving him a hard mocking time about not shaving.
1: Oh, yeah. I she... was going to say, she's mocking him for having greys in his beard. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. So it basically just spends the entire conversation mocking the way he looks, mocking his lack of courage, mocking the fact that he's a crippled liar. And I'm like, come
3: on, give him, you know, give him a break. She is in mm-hmm. fine form in this particular. Oh, I love sure. how it opens as well. So I do I like his, his,
2: uh, his response when she's like, oh, uh, mm-hmm. you're still wearing that awful beard it makes you look like a Robert and he's like, Well no it doesn't. His beard was black. Mine is blonde. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's an important distinction, okay?
0: <laughs> Basically Cersei's a surly drunk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she just hasn't drunk enough.
0: Yeah. She's not the ha- the happy place yet. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> oh she um, wants to send Jamie to River Run and Harrenhal. And it's interesting that these are the, like the two places that um jamie surmised previously that she was trying to send kevin to hoping in hopes he'd die like we don't know if that's true i think chickie was like no i don't think she's thinking that far but jamie is thinking that that's where she was trying to send kevin so
4: uh yeah <laughs> i i don't think she's trying to kill him but she definitely no, wants he- him out of her hair
0: <laughs> yeah and it's because he's not listening to her he's no longer her lackey right yeah, he he's not doing what what she
4: wants. Not only that, but yes, he's pointing out um, what he doesn't like about what she's doing, and she mm-hmm. is not interested in hearing any of that.
2: <laughs> yeah, he he has a lot of complaints
0: about the way that she's been handling Tyrells, particularly. I think. Yeah, and she just wants yes men around her, and Jamie's not that anymore. Anyway, I, um, oh, sorry.
3: Sorry, um, I like the bit, um, of the fact that. Uh, certainly, during the first part, um, whilst they're together in the first part of this chapter, um, repeating through his head, it's, she's been fucking Lancel and or something. Black. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's re- that that's gets recurring, repeated. It? In yeah. Yeah. Chapter that it's has really
1: popped. on Jamie's mind. It really is. Yeah. he's it's, really trying to deny it, but
3: he can't stop thinking about it. He yeah, is. It's to that stage where he thought perhaps Tyrion had lied, but it's still there and it's still nagging. And it's, if anything, it's getting worse. Yeah, it is it's
4: more persistent now. It's yeah, funny. Yeah. He he continues to deny it, but he's actually thinking about it more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yet again, there might be a disconnect between what Jamie's allowing himself to
0: think and what he may actually be
1: feeling.
0: I would be shocked,
1: shocked if that was what was happening. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, and the reason why he ha- thinks of that line again is because, in his absence, um, Cersei tells him that Sir Osmond is going to be in command, and Jamie reminds her, "You know that's not your job. That's my job as Lord Commander." Um, and he's not... and he
1: also mentioned he put Baelon Swan in command, and you know I love that.
0: You just <laughs> had to. <laughs> You yeah, had to jump in there with your Balon Swan love.
1: I just have so much love for that dude. Anyway, carry on.
0: <laughs> but unfortunately, Balon Swan's not there. He's in Dorne where she sent him no. to. <laughs> because she does not trust those Dornish ever since Oberyn stood up for uh, Tyrion. Jamie tells her Loras is thrice the man Osman is. Um, and then he makes a comment that uh, Loris doesn't stare at her tits the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's been paying attention
1: were much
0: nicer. In response, she (laughs) slaps him across the face, um, and then Jamie thinks how he'd love to rip her gown and turn her blows into kisses. Um. Oh, Jamie. Yeah. uh, Jamie, you're an (laughs) idiot. He dumbed (laughs) Cersei tells him to go, asks asks if he is deaf as well as maimed. So, again, as Sam just said, she keeps getting in these digs. Um. I lost count, actually, how many times she insulted him in his maiming. Yeah. Um, Although
4: he's t- kind of t- giving t- out, as, he's giving back about as good as he gets with a lot. Of
1: these I was gonna stories. say Jamie is pretty damn angry. If a storm of swords is Jamie's despair, feast is his rage. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, and I think it's interesting that he he he's intentionally provoking her. Like, yeah, he knows. He even thinks he knows that Cersei does not like to be provoked in that way he she doesn't like i think he says she doesn't like to be balked, and and he knows that and he knows how he could have changed her mind if he was if he if you know if he was kinder and softer and then like he knows how he could have appealed to her but he's just angry at her and so he doesn't feel like it so he just provokes her instead
3: yeah, I love that bit. Soft words might have swayed her, yet the, the, yes. of late, the very sight of her made him angry. Everything's it's, making him angry these days. Just, just, more, just more
4: action, Jamie. It's just all action with Jamie and a yeah. little bit of thought. And the thoughts that you get are usually action-related. Um, yeah. You kind of have to in the lines to see what's going on. It's like, oh, um, you're thinking this whole, you know, Lancel, Osmond, Kettleblack, Moonboy thing about every third paragraph. Maybe this is your problem with her, Jamie, but he can't (laughs) quite put that together.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Jamie finally answers her, you know, as you command, and he leaves, and um, he's thinking that a part of him longed to put King's Landing behind him away from the fools and the licks spittles Cersei has surrounded herself with. Um, I thought this part was kind of uh, funny, that the smallest council are what the people of Flea Bottom have been calling. High
3: fives to Flea Bottom there. That's good work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I enjoyed that. I got a chuckle out of that. So when he gets out, um, there's 40 knights and as many esquires waiting for him at the stables to head out. Um, when he's about to go, um, there's a squire, josmin oh god these names Peckledon Peckledon Peckledon, Peckledon.
3: Pe- Peckledon yeah. sorry though. we call him Peck
0: <laughs> asks him if Throw he wants the, he wants his new hand and uh Sir Kenos of Coise tells him to wave it at the small folk you know give them a story to tell their children <laughs> Jamie doesn't feel like much of being a spectacle so he tells him you know if you know wave both your hands and your feet if you want instead yeah.
1: Jamie's full I love your sarcasm oh, yeah. yeah I love his sarcasm oh
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's miserable and he's wonderfully snarky. <laughs> Jamie um has Sir Ilan Payne and Sir Adam Marbrand with them. Um he requested them of Cersei to accompany him and uh, she didn't put up much of a fight. Sorry. When they leave King's
3: Yes. Sorry, I just have to momentarily fangirl over Adam Marbrand. That's all. Oh, you all. Yeah, who doesn't he's love mine. him? He's mine. You may not have him. <laughs> Any of you. He's mine, okay? Okay, right. okay all right. sorted. Right. Only- <laughs> I, I
4: intend I intend to fight sandwiches for him later. We'll see. Okay. Uh oh. You can have a
1: mall of So long as I can have bail on Swan, you guys can have Adibon
0: So <laughs> <laughs> well, when they leave King's Landing, uh Jamie thinks how um when the Tyrells left the streets were lined with people to see them off. There were sounds of drums and fiddles, women were throwing kisses and um Jamie thinks that they like the smell of roses, but have no love of lions, and he thinks Cersei would be wise to take note of that. So it's kind of interesting as we see Jamie really paying attention where Cersei is not. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Everyone just agrees. Moving on. That speaks (laughs) for itself. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, no. I mean, we've talked about this before. Cersei won't. She's not good at listening to other people's opinions. They don't mesh with her own.
0: Yeah. Um, so, anyway, outside of the city walls is um, Sir Meribrand and his outriders, fewer than a thousand men. They are set to join the besiegers at River Run. On the last message they receive, they are having difficulties keeping themselves fed. Brendan Tully had the fields burn before um, going behind the walls at River Run. Jamie gives orders to Meribrand to have scouts sent forward. He tells them Rob Stark took him unawares at the Whispering Woods and that he will le- never let that happen again so again um, i don 't know that seemed very super cautious to me
4: yeah well that's that 's something that haunts go- Jamie and will continue to haunt him really go ahead yeah, he really hasn 't had many military failures he 's had two. He um, failed in his defense of the Red Keep, which was a completely lost cause when he was seventeen years old and somehow ended up in charge of it. And he failed again at the Whispering Wood with Rob. I mean, other than that, Jamie really had never had any military failures. He's he's a pretty well feared military commander for that matter. I mean, you know, he's he's considered a very valuable asset when Rob takes him. And I mean the reason that he takes him is not just because he's a single swordsman who's good. I mean, that won't make much of a difference in a war. It's the fact that, you know, Tyrion talks about it a little bit. Men like to follow Jamie. Jamie is really good at what he does and you kinda of get a sense of that as he's leaving with yeah. all of these guys. He's, you know, in his element when he's leading men. He's very good at
1: inspiring mm-hmm. inspiring confidence in his men, I think. Um I was just gonna say that when he reflects on how Rob Stark took him unaware and whispering wood, it's sort of a a bitter reflection as well, because as you said, Chigitz, he's really only had a couple of military failures, and this one really was the beginning of what I guess Jamie considers his downfall. Um, yeah, well and it was what- arrogance. Too, and he knows that absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And it is you see it being tempered a little bit now. Um, and as his story continues, he's not as quick to take risks as lots as he's being much more cautious. And we do see that as his story progresses.
4: Yeah, because it's it's good to note. You know, Jamie almost had the war won when he let yeah. Rob trick him um, at the Whispering Wood. He had um, Edmure completely besieged at River Run and, and was going to basically take the entirety of the Riverlands, um, before Rob, um, listened to his own advisors and, and was really clever. So, you know, Jamie, Jamie has taken note and, you know, even though he doesn't want to, he's having to use his brain rather than his sword hand now. <laughs> yeah.
1: And you know what? You know what? He is damn good at it.
0: Yeah, he is. He is. Absolutely is. I love this bit too, where, um, as he's getting, you know, further away from King's Landing, it almost reads like when he was released from the dungeons, um, he, he it does, doesn't it? Like yeah. he's, he's free, free. <laughs> to the point. You, pair, you, know, you know guys
1: we, remember? Do you remember when we talked about Dave's very first point of view chapter about how it talks about um, the wind rattling through his hair like a woman's fingers and, yeah. and thirsty fingers back then? Was that what you were going to say, Chicky? Yes, you do it. Yes, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. I mean, that it. We pointed it out way back then that how you know he's thinking about the wind rattling through his hair like Cersei's fingers. And now it's almost exactly the same line. But this time the wind rustled through his hair like a woman's fingers. So he's not thinking about Cersei in that uh loving kind of way. He's kind of
0: pushing her to the side now. I thought that was I, well, a really good catch too that you caught yeah. that. Like I would never um, have it's that. not it's not my catch. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen it many many times online. You <laughs>
3: you <laughs>
1: <laughs> In that case, it was mine. I'm the only one who ever noticed. That. Anyway,
3: carry
0: on. Okay. So uh, we learn a bit more about Ilan Payne. Um, how he was a wedding gift from Robert Baratheon to Tywin. Um, that he served as the king's justice very well. He hardly ever needed a second swing. He was ill-suited for running the dungeons. He couldn't read. He couldn't write or speak, of course. So instead, he left that job to his underlings. Um, The last chief jailer um, was a cloth merchant that Littlefinger had brought in. A man who supported... Okay, now this part I thought was kind of a bit of a glimpse into Joffrey's cruelty. Um, This uh, jailer was a man who had supported Stannis, a group that called themselves Antlermen. Joffrey had antlers nailed to their heads before throwing them off the walls. That was gruesome.
4: Wait, Joffrey loved a spectacle, right? Yeah.
1: So mm-hmm. glad did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as as are we all, I think. As are we all. <laughs> Everyone. Um,
2: Except you, Sir,
1: you, you get a pretty sad picture of Sir Ilan's life, don't you? Because Jamie sort of, he talks about his chambers and how they're really disgusting and there's rotting food and spoiled clothing and I think he talks about seeing rats everywhere. Yeah. And he talks about the fact that it's only his sword lying on the table that's shiny and, and clean and polished. And Jamie thinks, you know, this man cares nothing for anything but killing um which I guess is true. And I, I was wondering as I was reading through the chapter, why did Jamie want Surlin with him? Does anyone have any thoughts on that? Is it because he thought that he might need a confidant that that couldn't
4: talk? Think or do you he, think didn't he, he have he had a thought in when the yes. in the earlier chapter where, he, did where he where yeah, where he used Adam Marbrand to kind of feel out his um, his ability with his left hand, um, you know, he he hmm. turned to Adam first, and he thought I should have gone with Ilan because Ilan doesn't have a can't tongue. Oh, can't can. can't <laughs> <write it
1: down. laughs>
4: but more <laughs> than that, you know, yeah. more than that, yeah. I actually think um, Jamie being, you know, in in the the terminology of Westeros, crippled now himself. Maybe is identifying more with people like Ellen Payne, who have had something taken away and have had to to find another way to live. I think he is finding a new sympathy there for people.
0: I actually had I that. I think thought you're right. Actually, uh, I was thought, actually book. had that thought when he describes his apartments. As Whitey was saying, it's you know it's full of rats, broken wine jars, rusted mail strewn about. It reeks of urine because of all these unemptied chamber pots. I like got really sad because I was thinking this guy can't communicate like why doesn't he have a servant yeah. like, cleaning up this place?
4: I feel like yeah, you could probably hand gesture your way through please empty my chamber <laughs> pots
0: <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, like, there you. may be a I'd, lack I'd, of I'd, will I'd, there I didn't get that person yeah, I, Apartment is what you know okay. oh, I'm sure, I'm I'm sure, sure he, he might have, have some...
1: himself, I'm sure he could have made himself known if he wanted to well,
0: um, I, say saying... sandwiches? I saw sandwiches trying to break in
3: that's okay, I was just going to say Jamie might have some sympathy. it's true, but I mean he sort of doesn't really he's not really sympathetic in his manner. It's like you know I would have you with me if you can bear to leave all of this I <laughs> take me <laughs> way I was going
1: say that's just the way Jamie is. you even see it in the way that he he treats but the people.
3: You see it in the way he treats I I
1: Brienne and Tyrion. He he does talk to them with that snark. That's just the way that he is. It doesn't mean that he he's not feeling sympathy or empathy or that he doesn't
0: mm. care. <laughs> I still thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> It's like you know, can barely leave all this. <laughs> uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, Jamie gets nothing but silence as a reply from Ilan Payne, and then um, wow, as he's about yeah, right, shocker, <laughs> no no hand gestures. <laughs> and uh, as Jamie's about to turn to leave, um, uh, Payne finally nods that you know he'll go with them. <laughs> um, so they make camp beneath the hilltop at the castle of the Hayfords who invite them to sup. Uh, Jamie takes Ilan, Adam, Bronick Connington, Bonifer, Hasty, uh, Strongbore, and a dozen others to dinner. Um, he does ask for his hand at this point, um, and then we get a description of it being very lifelike with inlaid nails, mother of pearl, fingers, um, and the thumb are closed in such a way that it could fit around the stem of a goblet. Um, now, thank and God, because that's important. Who had the hand made? Because I know in the show it was Cersei, but oh, he did. I think Jamie did.
1: Jamie in the book. Yeah, I'm going to say I have the same. I think Lot had the same thought as me. That if Cersei had had it made, she would have made sure he could hold the white <laughs> but...
4: <laughs> You know, never forget. Book Jamie's a little garish. Jamie in the books so likes uh, some yeah. serious flash. <laughs>
1: he about it when he has his hat, He thinks about when he wants to get the handmaid. He's like, oh, I'll have a golden hat so everyone can you know, marvel at this golden hand. <laughs> you
4: know, I mean, Jamie's Jamie's famous for having this golden armor, which just is ridiculous sounding, and I'm glad they didn't really... I, I mean, they did a little bit with the Kingsguard on the show, but can you imagine this golden armor and his golden sword know, that he it's, had? It's and a, it's a his to golden know, curls maybe. on
1: top of it? I mean... <laughs> ridiculous. He likes gold, okay? It's his favorite
4: color. It's all very, like,
0: 90s Versace in my mind. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, So, at dinner, people are admiring the hand until Jamie loses his temper and he spills his wine. Um, He tells Flemett Brack if he likes the hand so much, he could just lop off his own hand and make one have have it himself. Uh, <laughs> and after that he could drink some wine in peace. He was getting sick of everybody, you know, ooing and awing over his hand. <laughs> Tyrick Lannister, a cousin, has been missing since the riots of King's Landing. Jamie says the boy is dead. Uh, <laughs> he kind of says that a little bit callously too because everybody's kind of speculating about where he might be, you know, maybe he's being held for ransom. And then Jamie Well, is- Jamie's
4: Jamie's not known for showing a lot of love to his uh, cousins. Is he? <laughs>
0: I love that he he just sprayed out
2: and says, he's probably dead. (laughs) Well, he does have them in abundance, so, you know.
4: He does, he he does. does. does It's funny that he slips this in here, though, and he kind of has this, um, what probably is a pretty good theory thought, um, that it may have been Varys who um, made Tyrek disappear. Um, It it is one of those little kind of hanging mysteries, and there's, you know, there are theories he might be in Braavos, there are all kinds of theories um, floating around about what happened to Tyrek. Um, And it's interesting that Jamie is yet again being forced to think politically enough that he, he actually has to think, oh, I wonder if Varys was involved in that. You almost get this, like, hesitation that you can feel from him, like, I don't want even to want to be. have to think about this, yeah. but damn it, maybe this is what happened.
1: <laughs> and, and really, it is, as you said, it's not a bad theory at all. Jamie is really not bad at the political stuff. He's just, as you say, you really do feel the reluctance. He just doesn't God. want to be involved at all. You've
4: got to force him to do it. Yeah, he's
0: like L. Well. Anyway, <laughs> so after dinner, Jamie fetches Sir Ilan for a duel, saying, "You were a knight once, so was I. Let's see where we, what we are now." Um, Jamie strikes at him, and Ilan—he's um, thinking Ilan is rusty in his, as his ring mail, but not so strong as Brienne. And I thought that was interesting. Yay! Like uh, of all the people mm-hmm. Jamie's fought, his thoughts go yeah. to Brienne. And yeah. also,
1: what interesting is. Do you remember way that when we talked about Jamie and Brienne's fight and how it's so laid in the sexual imagery? This fight is another fight that George does spend a little bit of time on. And yet, where is all the sexual language and innuendo? It's really confusing to me. Isn't that just what George does when two bros are fighting each
3: other? <laughs> <laughs>
0: So as they fight, um, Jamie takes a lot of abuse. When they stop, Jamie tells him they will fight every night until he is as good as he was with his right as he is until he's as good as with his left as he was with his right. And then this part, I don't, I remember when I first read it, like, it really, like, startled me in a way. Like, Ilan opens his mouth, it makes a clacking sound, an unsettling <laughs> yeah. laugh. So is Ilan a non-believer? Or is he thinking he's a fool? What's going <laughs> on? I here? think all of the above. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so funny, because,
4: you know, this laugh has terrorized Sansa a few times. And so it's it's not something we're unfamiliar with as readers. And it's funny to see it here turn to something that we know is obviously just Ilan thinking something is ridiculous and
0: silly. Yeah. Which is what he finds the idea that Jamie thinks he's going to be as good as his life. <laughs> and just crushing hopes and dreams, Ellen. <laughs> uh, okay, where am I? Oh, so in the morning, no one asks Jamie about his bruises. Um, they're kind of polite about it. And Jamie even has this mobile where he thinks um, they, it appears no one heard them dueling. I don't see how that could be. Um, As they travel further north, signs of the war can be seen more and more. One of Sir Maribran's outriders loses a horse to what is um, presumed to be a wolf. We see that a lot, right? Like, there's all these mentions of how wild the wolves Mm -hmm. have been.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, They come to a tower house occupied by Sir Roger Hogg. He held it against wolves and lions alike, losing all his sheep and goats. Jamie tells him to plant and pray for one more harvest. Not really that sympathetic to the guy. Um Yeah, there's
4: not a lot to be done, really.
0: They continue on crossing um the border that separates the lands um beholden to King's Landing and those to River Run. They found outlaws holed up in a root cellar. Jamie hangs them all, including one in the runes of a crimson cloak. And he kind of has this moment where he like pats himself on the back where he feels like he's done justice because he also hung that one that was in the Crimson Cloak.
3: Well, oh, I love this. I love this because it feels. Um, I was reading it and he's like, Golden Hand the Just. And I need to know. Um, I don't know if any of you guys know. I hope this is out there and it should be. Um, is there any fan art, fan art of, of, of Jamie as a superhero? <laughs> I, can, I can see that. You know, with a, a big GJ. On his <laughs> golden <laughs> hand, the jest. I don't test. know about Santa.
1: All I can think about is that damn fic that Guile oh,
0: suggested. No. When I got to that line, that's all I could think about, too.
1: <laughs> I think the listeners need to know that Guile suggested that someone write a fic about Goldenrod the Thrust, <laughs> which is a Damien Brienne <laughs> <laughs> based fic. Anyway. Wow. Anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so they get closer to Hall, and Jamie wonders if Brienne passed this way thinking to look for Sansa at River Run. Littlefinger had been named Lord of Hall, but he seems not to be in any kind of great hurry to take his seat there Jamie. yeah <laughs>
4: Oh, because Harrenhal is cursed, of course, in Westeros, and Littlefinger is reluctant to take it. But you know, it's really not covered much. Um, Littlefinger has been made, um, you know, basically the ruler of all of the Riverlands, and he's ignoring them. <laughs> Studies <Instead>, <laughs> camping out in the Vale, trying to plan with Sansa to try to take over the North. Does this is another one of those little it? hints that Littlefinger is perhaps not the genius that everyone takes him for.
3: <laughs> particularly suspicious either that you know people are going where is he but nobody's actually going hmm yeah so yeah,
0: I, I, jamie <laughs> yeah it really shows no one else is really being a genius in this case either I <laughs> no guess. you know
4: tywin no one really had Tyrion. kind of had little fingers number but no
2: one really um, mistrusted him as much as he deserved really. <laughs> i don't think you can ever mistrust him as much as he deserves though i mean
4: right mm, uh, that's okay. true
2: <laughs>
0: Good point. <laughs> so uh, Jamie needs to restore the king's peace. Uh, he's been sent to settle the area as the only peace that Gregor and his men have ever brought was the peace of a grave. And I just included that because I really like that line. Uh, they blew a horn at the gates of Hall, passing beneath a dozen murder holes before emerging into the yard. He's greeted by a handful of Gregor's Hang men. Hang
1: on. We just, yes. we missed something. We missed the fact that while Jamie is wondering, wondering this area, he finds himself thinking about Brienne again and how she may have passed through this way. A Before lot mentioned he, it. I said it. Oh, you did? I'm
4: oh, sorry. But what, what she didn't mention, which I, is important.
1: I got disconnected for a second. Oh, did all you? Of it.
4: It's really yeah. important to mention that he thinks of her. <laughs> he thinks of asking the for her at Sansa. Big, ugly
1: one? Yeah. yeah.
4: He thinks of asking for a pretty maid with auburn hair or a big ugly one with a face that could curdle milk. That's good. And Hold so, on to that for so a few wait. minutes.
1: I left so that wait. out. For I'm perfect. <laughs> no, goodness,
4: no. That goodness. needs to be in. <laughs>
1: Okay. Oh, but we, can we? Are we coming back to that then? No. Yeah. I was just going to say. I mean, what? Brian's ugly. She is. Jamie, we mentioned that before. It's almost <laughs> like has to keep reminding himself lest he find himself with another awkward boater. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <I'll laughs> it's just very uncomfortable when you're riding a horse. <laughs> no,
1: I, I understand. I'm sure it is. It's just I don't, I just really like that paragraph. It's. It, the fact that they're both thinking about each other in this way as they travel the countryside and they're sort of wondering where each other is and, and whether they've crossed the same land. I they're very love much that. subconsciously on each other's minds,
2: which is really nice. I just love it. It's just so it's just hilarious to me that they're just constantly riding around like, oh there's a rock I wonder if, you know, the other one passed that (laughs) rock. (laughs) It reminds me of a rock I saw once. There's a tree. I'm pretty sure Ben and I
1: passed a tree on our travels. You know,
3: (laughs) I'm pretty sure if they had Taco Bell in Westeros, that it would remind, this is actually something I meant to say last time I was on, that basically if they had Taco Bell there, you know, Brienne would be, oh, oh, the golden food of transportation device of Christy... (laughs) impracticality reminds me of his hair you know it's, <laughs> <laughs> anything they, they, walls, rocks, small frogs
0: it's, it, they're just on each other logs,
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so okay I'm gonna keep get this back okay so he's uh, as he rides into the yard he's greeted by a handful of Gregor's men and they're a hardened bunch one of them says it's the bleeding kingslayer fuck me with a spear <laughs> Jamie asks him who he is. Apparently, Gregor uh, needed to ca- called him a uh, shit mouth, <laughs> and we find out why as we keep reading. <laughs> the guy, I, 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 I love this spit, He spits into his palms, and then he tries to like wipe his face clean. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Jamie asks him if he's in charge. uh He replies, Shit, no, my lord, bugger me with a bloody spear. And Jamie's just <laughs> had enough at this point. He's like, he tells Ilan Payne to find him a nice long spear. <laughs> and then it's at this point, Shitmouth takes him a little more seriously and tells him Apollover was named Castilian, but he was killed along with the tickler and another boy by the hands of the hound. Rumor has it the hound has a ragged peasant lad with him. Mario. Um Jamie asks why they didn't go after him. And then there's a man wearing Vargo Hote's coin necklace tells Jamie you'd have to be mad to face the hound. And this man is Raff. Jamie asks him to gather everyone, including the captains. He also asks to see the head of Vargo Hote, which is described in delicious detail. Jamie asks where the rest of him is, and then we learn that his uh, flesh was fed to one of the captives who was begging for food. Not only fed to this guy, but he was fed to Vargo Hote himself. Forced
1: self-cannibalism for the win. Oh, great. Yeah, I love there's a line where
0: it says that Gregor made
4: sure that every one of the, the prisoners had eaten some of Vargo Hote. Terrific. Uh,
0: this is uh, probably some of the grossest stuff, I think, in the uh, books. <laughs> I yeah, and Jamie. <laughs> Jamie
1: is really. You would have. Jamie's really, really not into it either. He thinks, "Father, your dogs have gone mad," and then he talks about how revenge has lost some of its. So and much. he talks about yeah. how
0: cursed Hall is too, which is so true. Yeah, so true. So, um, Jamie gives Hall to Bonifer Hasty. Until Littlefinger arrives, he tells Gregor's men they can stay with Bonifer, will have them. The rest can continue with him to River Run. The men are not thrilled, they were promised riches. <laughs> Promises of land and work are not going over well with these guys. Um, people from the dungeons are brought out. No, um, there are no more brave companions, Jamie notes. Um, there are three of Lady Went's people left, including Paya. Her nose has been broken and half her teeth have been knocked out. When she sees Ugh. Jamie, she clings to his yeah. leg and sobs. Oh, poor Pia, so, man. It just, it's just heartbreaking.
3: Yeah. That bit.
0: yeah.
3: Because she's hysterical and it's, oh, and she has to be pulled away from his feet and it's, ah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that. No, you go ahead,
4: I was just going to say, you know, Jamie, you hardly met her, but it's just amazing how much difference he sees in her from the last time he saw her, and it wasn't that long ago
1: yeah it's oh. really
0: awful these guys and she's saw- not the
1: only one who falls at jamie's feet yes yeah, sir
0: manderley cries harder and mm. longer than Kaya yeah. when he's told that he's going to be sent home
1: and then oh god it says it took four men to lift him back onto his feet because he's he's quite a, a portly fellow and jamie like all manderleys <laughs> uh, yes it's genetic Um, And Jamie then thinks he's had too
0: much roast goat, which, ah, Jamie. Uh, I I like too, and he sends the cook back to the kitchens to prepare a meal for his men. And he doesn't want goat. He specifies specifies anything but goat. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Bonifor tells Jamie over supper that he will not have any of Gregor's men with him. Um, He doesn't want Pia either. And he says this bit about, he doesn't want her flaunting her parts.
2: Ugh.
0: Oh.
4: Ugh, gross! Uh, Bonifer is such a you know religious zealot, and um, yes. I love when Jamie <laughs> refers to him in his own head as Baylor butthole. Baylor being a very famously religious king um, who basically ended up throwing away his crown in, in favor of religion.
0: <laughs> Jamie yeah, just has
4: no
2: for use you. for this whatsoever.
0: Oh, I love that nickname too.
2: <laughs> I just nickname. I find this so hilarious. I'm just like you're 12. You were 12 years old. Yeah,
0: we call Jamie me. is 12.
1: That's <laughs> that. <laughs> it's completely apt.
0: <laughs> so yeah, Jamie agrees to take Paya with him, thinking he'll make her a washerwoman. Um, Jamie wonders. I love it too that here she is. You know, she's just
4: just a girl who grew up in this castle, and he like takes the time to try to defend her and say, you know, she's never known any life but here. Like, are you really going to send her away? But he realizes she's going to be better off with him than with this guy. This is this is another one of those marked changes in Jamie, and he's always felt sympathy for people, but. Um, this is one of those times where it's just, he's just struck with sympathy for someone. who and, and not only sympathy, but empathy. He understands what Pia's plight is here. You know, this is her home and she's being sent away. I think it's another really good example for those who try to say that... You know, you see people say that Jamie is a narcissist or a psychopath. And it's like, Jamie has so much empathy just pouring out of... <laughs> if
1: yeah. you really
4: pay attention. Absolutely. It's, it's also
1: another instance where we're sort of faced with a really anti-feminist slant, I guess, coming from Bonifa Hasty, and talking about, you know, how P is a slush and she's going to be provocative. And we have Damien stepping in, not specifically defending that, but stepping in to kind of be chivalrous and, and, and protect a woman from that kind of onslaught, I guess, as well, which is nice.
0: Yeah, I um wanted to say too that Jamie even takes time to warn Bonifer about Harrenhal. and I know Chuke said, you know, it's a cursed castle. Um so he you know, he thinks about the men that have, you know, held the castle and uh he talks about the mountain, the goat, Gregor, and even his own father. So I think he definitely believes it's cursed. <laughs> um, you can blame him, sure. Yeah. Bonifer says they are not, um, they, Bonifer replies that they were not godly men, and he's confident that he, Lord Lancel Randall Tarley, will set the lands right. The guy has a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie, Jamie asks that he, um, send word if they get a hold of any of the brave companions, and Bonifer asks what they should do if they encounter Sandor. Jamie thinks, pray hard and run responds, um, but he responds to kill him, and uh, be glad there are seven hells. So, you know, I think it's interesting that the Hound has this reputation, yet we see Brienne is, like, pursuing the Hound, despite, you know, this this rep that the Hound has. Um, mm. And I'm just, like, wondering, like... It's kind of frustrated me that you know none of these rumors were reaching Jamie about the Stark girl, but it seems to be rampant in Brienne's chapters that the Hound was with the Stark girl.
4: I think a lot of that yeah. is, is who they're talking to. You know, Brienne is yeah. getting down and talking to the people, whereas Jamie is very much talking to the nobility, who are just going to hear you know the basic stuff about Sandor. They're not going to hear you know the details and everything.
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That appeases me. <laughs> 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 so um jamie asks Bonifer um if Bonifer captures um baron tells him if he captures beric dondarrion to not kill him thoris of Mir he can do with whatever he likes to um jamie gives Bonifer to search out ill and pain he passes beneath a covered bridge through a flow stone yard before he realizes where he is and he's you know at the bear pit yeah. So I love
1: so that. Cute. I love it. Yeah. He's not going there with any thought at all. He's just sort of wandering. He's looking for Cyril and to fight. And all of a sudden, he finds himself at the bear pit. Wow. Yeah,
2: it's uh, it's not before he realizes where he is, it's before he realizes where he's headed. He's he's going yeah. there, and he doesn't know
0: why he's going there. He just sort
2: of <laughs> seems to be wandering in that direction,
0: you know? Yep, and then he sees this lantern, the glow of a lantern. Oh,
2: wait, sorry. i
1: I said I would mention this I was talking to Rose Hart yesterday and when I discussed this paragraph with her she said to me Jamie's cock is like a Brienne compass I, I really enjoyed that
0: <laughs> I missed oh that my in the chapter I
3: mean... it is genius though brilliant
1: <laughs> <laughs> I told her by the way that I would say it so...
4: <laughs> good one Rose Hart good one
1: good. Thank you, Rose Hart. And, she's tr- and she's right let's face
0: it Okay, so I uh I'll try to attempt to go on after that. So there's this glow of a lantern and uh he thinks oh maybe it's you know ill in pain getting ready to do all, but it's not, it's Red Ronnet. Um Jamie asks him if he's lost his way. He tells Jamie he wished to see where the bear danced with the maiden not so fair. Asks Jamie if she fought naked, and Jamie's wondering, you know, he tells him no, and he's wondering, where did that rumor come from? And then he, you know, he begins to tell him about, you know, she's wearing this pink dress. Ronit jokes, if the bear saw her naked, he might have fled in terror. Jamie does not laugh. Says he's, No,
1: because J- Jamie's seen that sweet naked
0: ass. Yeah. <laughs> Why you laugh? Uh, Jamie's <laughs> starting to get pissed here, I think.
1: <laughs> he's really pissed. He's getting pissed.
0: And he says, you speak as though you know the lady. And he says, I was betrothed to her. And Jamie's surprised. Um, Connington tells Jamie Brienne was betrothed thrice. Uh, he was the second. He heard she was ugly, but his father told him, and this is a lovely line, that all women were the same once you blew the candle out. Romantic. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Marry Anyone me now.
3: Family. I was going to say.
1: Yeah
0: um so jamie eyes red ron at Sirco with his dancing griffins and he recognizes him as an up jumped relative of john connington his father was the brother who supported the rebellion jamie thinks um the maid of tarth would have been a sweet plum indeed jamie asks how it was that they did not wed connington tells him he went to tarth to see her described her as a sow in silk who choked on her own words he gave her a rose and told her that was all she was going to get from him. And then he says, That bear was less hairy than that freak, and then crack, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. <laughs> Jamie's <laughs> bitch slaps him so hard that his lantern goes flying. <laughs> he stumbles down the steps. And this is like the best thing I've ever read in my whole entire life. <laughs> <laughs>
4: You know, this passage is so um, subtly written because, yet again, because George has set you up to, to not expect to hear Jamie's, you know, actual emotions with his thoughts, mm-hmm. you don't notice what's happening, but there are very subtle cues that Jamie yeah. is not reacting well to what Red Ronit's doing, but, you know, Jamie's the type who, who'll kind of keep leading someone through a conversation and hear what they have to say <laughs> before he'll yeah, lose it or whatever. Yeah, and it's very cleverly written. You don't really realize what's going to happen until he actually hits Red (laughs) Ronit. Um, because, you know, Jamie himself, we just saw him call Brienne, you know, a maid as ugly that she has a face that could curdle milk. I mean, he constantly thinks of her as ugly. Yeah,
1: but you do do see here how he doesn't, he doesn't engage with him when he talks about that. He doesn't laugh when he laughs. It is, as you say, a very subtle little sign that he is not enjoying it. He's actually getting angry. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's not something you would specifically, the bitch slap is not something you specifically think is going to be the outcome of this conversation until really the moment it happens, is bam amazing?
0: It's yeah. definitely like this strong emotional action that yeah. That's yeah. the way it's. It it's like when you lose your temper, you don't even know why or how it happened. You just kind of hit someone. And notice how what, Jamie what? never has an emotional thought. The most mm-hmm. we get
4: uh, the most the most indication of his motives that we get here are a little bit in his dialogue when he says, "You are speaking of a highborn lady, sir. Yes. <laughs> Call her by her name. Call her Brienne." That's as most. That's as much as you're going to get um, of Jamie's motivation here. I mean, it's, yeah. it's pretty clear yes. from an objective perspective if you step back and look at the narrative what this means. But I mean, yeah. if you're and looking not- for a direct thought from Jamie, you're not going to get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's no, very
1: a really important part to me. I, I did love the bit slap, but I also very much enjoyed Jamie saying to him, "You're speaking of a highborn lady," and having him make Ronan call her by name. To me, that is—it's just—it shows a real sign of respect that Jamie has for Brienne, and it's—you know—he's not just angry for and, and slapping Ronan for insulting Brienne. He—he he really is. Well, I talked a little bit a couple of weeks ago about how you see-through Brian's chapters um, how she's really treated as someone or something that's less than human by most people because she fails to, to conform to gender norms, to what society dictates women should be, especially Westerosi society. You know, she's, she's ugly, she's manner, she's a warrior, she's a freak. And um, we do actually see in Brienne's chapter, she's rarely referred to by her name. She's more often than not called Wench, even by Jamie, particularly when they first meet Um, people refuse to attribute a name to Brienne, and it's just really another way of dehumanizing her. And, you know, as I just said, Jamie does refer to her by wench quite a bit, um, you know, until he gets to know her, and I think until he begins to like her. And then more often than not, he does refer to her or think of her as Brienne. So to me, it's, it's really a sign of respect. And we have Jamie here essentially saying to Ronit that Brienne is a human being. She's worthy of a name. She's worthy of respect. So to me, I think the slap is motivated both by Jamie's developing romantic feelings for Brienne and also the fact that he really respects her as a person. And it's just a really standout moment in the series for me
0: and, and also a standout moment in, in Jamie and Brienne's relationship. Yeah. I mean like, I don't know. And you get, I don't know just to pare it all down though. Like, the only way you would ever react in that way to somebody, like, to violently just smack them across the face is because you really, mm-hmm. really care about them. Like, it's not like, you know, I respect this guy. You watch yourself. You don't need to, you know, it's such a strong... You don't
1: think Jamie would uh, do the same for... Um, well, the for thing is, movie? yeah, it's
4: not just that Jamie disagrees or that he feels... um that someone's being disrespectful because we just saw Bonifer hasty say some really rotten things about Pia that Jamie didn't like, and that he disagreed with. And yet you didn't see him bitch slapping oh, Bonifer okay. hasty. And keep in mind, Bonifer hasty is probably even less a less important person than red Ronnet is. is. Um, so it, it, there's, there's no respect or anything there that's keeping him from smacking Bonifer hasty over what he said about Pia. This thing that happens um, when Ronit is mocking Brienne is is clearly just a gut reaction that comes from a place that Jamie can't even cognate because he doesn't. Mm. <laughs> he yeah, doesn't
1: yeah. Think about anything. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Look, I do, I'm not saying that it's just because he respects her, but I'm saying respect certainly plays a part. Yeah. In, what he says afterwards as well, you know, call her by name. She's a highborn lady. But, yeah, I agree. The slap was just this animal instinct, I yes. think, that, as you said, Jamie doesn't know even why it's happening. He's just really, really angry. And, and obviously, subconsciously, he's trying to protect a woman that maybe he loves. Maybe he's <laughs> from, uh, from feeling baby
0: <laughs> Go ahead, Glam. I saw you try to break in there.
2: Yeah, and it's just, it's really, really deliberate the, the fact that we don't have any kind of real thoughts from him during that entire passage, that entire exchange. Like from the moment, pretty much, that he finds out, interestingly, he finds out that, that, uh, Connington was engaged to Brianne, which is another, another little, beat that I love when he's, like, so surprised by that. And he's like, "Bria never mentioned that. And it's like, well, you And we were braiding each other's hair. Yeah, like, <laughs> we, were, we were braiding each other's hair or something. Were having a slumber party, Jamie, when she would have told you about, like, her engagement? Yeah. Like, literally yeah, when would this will come up? <laughs> but...
1: The fact that he bared his soul to her And she yeah. did It's was almost concerned. like that
0: would have been important information To him or something <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those things where it just speaks It speaks to the
4: conversations that they had That you don't see They were together for months And I think yeah. it just ta- it, it speaks to the fact that They had a lot of conversations that we never saw And they talked about a lot of things about each other You know Somewhere, Jamie came up with the idea that Brienne was in love with Renly. I mean, we don't really see where he picks that up, but he he comes up with it. There are things that he's discovered about her, and you kind of have to infer that it's conversations that they had that you don't know about. And it's, you know, it's pretty clear they've gotten really close in a weird way. (laughs) He expected to know this sort of
3: detail. He really did expect to.
1: You do wonder how much Brienne actually told him, though, because I imagine her being quite closed off, particularly Mm -hmm. when it comes to her. Clearly, she didn't tell him
2: well, Idiot clearly, of yeah. she <laughs> yeah. didn't tell him that she was engaged, which
3: he is yeah. well, put off that, that, by. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's this put really out by it. Go, go ahead, Samages. Yeah. Sorry. There's this really interesting change in tone, actually, during the course of this particular encounter. Um, when they first start talking, Jamie's more like his normal self. He's, um, you know, um, uh, the, the goat wanted her death to be amusing. <laughs> You know, elsewise, he, he's more Jamie. There's a, a bit of snark in there. But the moment that the betrothal comes into play, his, his dialogue change changes. It becomes short sentences and precise questions, which is very, very interesting. You don't see inside his head, but the way he changes how he speaks, I think is very interesting, because it speaks of a sort of uncertainty and a sort of need to find information out. And also, before I go to mute again, I think I should really end with a rocky uh, victory montage, but that's just me. <laughs> 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 that would be awesome Jamie standing up at the top of the um, you know. Yeah. With the music. But yeah. Um, but it, it is interesting to me the way his dialogue actually changes in tone as 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 the c- encounter moves on. And um, yeah, definitely the slaps just awesome. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. And you know, it's yeah. interesting. I think he's
4: willing to put up with with someone making a comment about Brienne's looks. It's when Red Ronick goes into the fact that he deliberately humiliated her in this mm-hmm. way, yeah. giving her this rose and yeah, telling her that's all she'd ever have from him. This is what is just yeah. too far for Jamie.
3: Um, that's
1: and- true, I think. Because remember when uh, Loris makes a similar. Look. Well, when he talks to Loris about Brienne, Loris talks about how Ben Lee thought she was really unfortunate and how she was a freak. And Jamie even engages with that. He said, yeah, he, he, and he never even saw her in, you know, a pink dress or whatever in a pink pink life. (laughs) So I think it's not the fact that it's a comment about her looks specifically. It is, as you said, um, you know, a kind of overall, uh, the fact that he would be so, be cruel, I guess, or, you know, whatnot. Anyway, sorry, Jamie, you were
3: saying something.
2: There's a lot, it's a lot going on. Like I was saying before about the, the deliberate nature of not seeing any of his thoughts, because of course, as, as mentioned, Jamie doesn't, he doesn't consciously know why he's reacting this way, why he suddenly, as Sandwich has said, is just, you know, he suddenly becomes very pinpoint kind of interrogation about like their entire relationship and all of that. Like he wants to know all of that information and he again is, he has no idea why he cares about this. Why he's suddenly so interested? Why I don't think he even knows why he's so sort of like, vaguely sort of not. I'm not going to say annoyed, but he he is put out by the fact that he had no idea about this, and then again, then on top of that, at towards the yeah. end when it becomes him, you know, he was engaged to Brienne and Jamie is like, huh. And then it sort of becomes, and then he, you know, humiliated her and refused to marry her. And then that's when Jamie is just like, okay, how dare you? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah i think it is a, a build a build as well you can sort of sense his anger building throughout the conversations so i think it's probably a bit of everything and then all yeah, of a sudden you
0: can, yeah you can sense it kind of but for me when i read it 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 shocked me even like i think it shocked JB. it shocked me it certainly shocked <laughs> yeah. me on it
4: <laughs> i think i as i recall the first time i read it it was a shock to me as well it's when you reread it you're like Oh, okay. That was where that
0: was.
4: <laughs> that's where that yeah. was building
0: from. Right, right. Yeah. yeah,
4: but I love that that Jamie. You know, so much of of Jamie and Brienne's interactions in Storm of Swords ended with Jamie doing things for Brienne that he couldn't understand, and he he was able to cognate to himself that he at least didn't know why he was doing things for her. Why am I helping her? Why am I doing this? Um, he ceased to even do that. You'll notice we mm-hmm. don't even get a questioning yeah. thought yeah. from him in his head. <laughs> he doesn't even think about it anymore. It's just. Yeah. I do shit for brand. This is what I do.
1: He is very, very slowly.
4: <laughs> yeah, you gotta wonder. Well, we all know what. The, here's the deal. He can't have a thought because it would be a spoiler.
0: That's exactly. much Well, what that's fine. Oh, it, yeah.
1: it would spoil the ultimate banging, which is gonna happen in Wind of <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> basically. Okay, so just to end it off, um, Ren Bronnett replies, you know, after he's picking himself up off the ground uh brianne oh. if it pleases my lord Brienne, the beauty and that
4: <sighs> you know in. You, I, well you know in, a
1: little dig in.
4: you know i gotta i gotta put in a dig for my own personal thoughts it's interesting that we hit this Brienne, the beauty just as we actually slip into the next cersei chapter in this book too so i just i'm gonna lay that down if anyone wants to research it leave it
0: alone <laughs> you're not going to give us any hints for us people that will not do that there may be a beautiful person
4: at play in cersei's chapters and i will just leave it at that okay,
1: okay. leaving the listeners okay. with some homework
0: <laughs> okay so. please read the whole book please read the whole thing
2: <laughs> let's
0: go into the thank yous and acknowledgements and but i think you, you to
2: talk about Heil.
0: Uh, You didn't, dude. Alright,
2: get your your Hyle on. Go ahead. Here's my thing thing with Hyle. I don't hate Hyle, but I do hate when people try to make Hyle Brienne happen. Because I think that it's underestimating, especially when you read Brian's chapters, you get into her head and you, you begin to see everything she's been through in her life, her, her low self-esteem and all of that. And I think a lot of times people underplay or underestimate the intensity of the, the sort of the, the intimacy and per, like the personal nature of the betrayal from Hyle from his pretending to befriend her and the whole bet thing and I think that for Brienne especially that's something that's so scarring for her internally that I just she clearly has not forgiven him she clearly has no interest in ever forgiving him like she's just like I can never trust you ever 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 again (laughs) Yeah, For it's this, so it's interesting. She finds a
4: way to work with him and to deal with him and you even get the, the impression that she likes him. But it is so clear that she is never going anywhere mm-hmm. romantic with him. <laughs> like I don't so that she likes him personally. Yeah, like she may I, not like him much. I think she just kind of is like, okay, I can deal with it. I mean, I you know, she's learning she to deals deal with people. With but it, yeah.
2: But she I mean, even up to not to, to jump ahead, but even up to, you know, when when the thing happens, she is Planning to leave him, she doesn't want him with her and Pod. She's oh yeah, like, she doesn't trust him. Uh-uh. We're gonna we're gonna leave, and he can stay there doing whatever. I don't care. And so no, it's not that I hate Hale. I think Hale a douche because he is, but it's that <laughs> I hate I hate this idea of Hale as a consolation prize for Brienne because just in any context, I don't like it. In any context, I don't like the idea of it as a consolation prize for Brienne. Without Jamie Brienne, although of course that is obviously going to happen. Um, to Jamie Brienne will happen, not the Constellation Prize. I don't like it as the idea of Jamie dies and then she is a Constellation Prize, Hile. I just, I don't, I, I hate it because I think that Brienne, just because of the personal nature of that portrayal, and how it plays so perfectly and completely on all of our insecurities, on the, the emotional abuse she suffered from, Uh-oh. from Scepter Roel, that it's just, it's, it's
0: perverse to me, to be like, yeah, now she can be with him. Here's the yeah. thing, I don't know, when I was rereading this, like, the first read I had of this, I really didn't give much thought to Heil at all, like, whatever. I had no opinion on him. He's a little bit funny, but... <laughs> As I, I've been rereading this, I kind of see these little hints that I i get the sense that Heil really actually kind of regretted what he did. And I think, I don't this is all in my head, but I almost get the sense like as the bet wore on, I think maybe Heil was regretting it. And I see like a lot of the way he interacts with Brienne in these chapters is him trying in a way to... I guess repair that damage that he had done with her and he's trying to get back in her good graces. Yeah. Good luck. It's probably not going to happen.
4: I think there's a mild amount of that. I agree with you. I, I, you know, I don't think Heil is all bad. I think he's just one of those thoughtless douchebags who just does something terrible to someone and just doesn't think it through. Um, you know, I think he does feel a little bit bad. You know, he does do some things for Brienne. He does do a couple things that he doesn't have to do. Um, I think, you know, what it comes down to is you kind of have to look at it from a narrative perspective. And that's just like, why on earth is this Jamie Light in Brienne's chapters? And the question, you know, I I kind of go back and forth with it. Is is he going to serve some purpose as far as making Jamie jealous or what? I almost kind of think that George might have been trying to head off the idea that Brienne just falls in love with any guy that she spends any time with. I agree. Um, yeah, I think I think he's there to, to to show, no, she can hang out with people and totally not fall in love with them. Let me show you and yeah.
1: you know let what? me
4: throw it's this really snarky guy in here. Introduce it's you to higher really hunt yeah.
1: I like that you raised that point, Chicky, because I was just reading, I think yesterday or the day before, about someone uh, wrote something about the fact that, oh, Brian doesn't even really – Love Jamie. She falls in love with all the guys that are, it show any sort of kindness to her, like Renly, And I'm just like, let mm, let's, Brienne has seen, Brienne has seen down to Jamie's core, basically. She has seen him at his absolute worst. She has seen him in situations that would, you know, if it was a superficial love, it would gross anyone else out. You know, she's, she's cleaned him up when he soiled himself.
0: Um, I just it's safe for that person to say that Brienne falls in love with anyone that, you know, shows her a kindness. I think jumping, to an, jumping into a fucking bear pit is a bit of an understatement. It's yeah. <laughs> a kindness.
1: I understand it for Renly because let's face it, she didn't really know Renly. It wasn't oh, yeah. idealistic love. I completely agree with that. But the fact that you could say that Brienne doesn't really know Jamie well enough to love him and that her love is based on her idealism or the fact that he was kind to her is absolutely ridiculous.
2: Oh, it's absurd. And, uh, she, yeah, she she knows everything about Jamie. Like,
1: yeah. yeah. And you know what? She also but knows she about knows Hyle, And as Shiki was saying, she's certainly not in love with him,
2: so. Yeah, and I want to say, in terms of, like, Hyle's guilt, he may feel, I think that he... Like Chickie said, he is just sort of the unthinking kind of douchebag who will do something and not really think about how somebody else might feel about it. And I think that he does have a level of of guilt, but I don't think it's, I don't think he he understands. I don't think he he actually empathizes with how Brienne feels about the bat. I think he sees that she's just still really pissed off about it. And he still has hopes of like marrying her for Tarth. And I agree, so I agree. like, yeah, I got it. I don't know. I'm trying to do yeah. this better. So I think he does feel bad about it because he sees that she's still really pissed off about it. But I don't think he has any real understanding necessarily of why she's so upset. Like his defense of it is, oh, it was just a joke. I don't know, I, gotta, I
0: think I'm going to have to be on the fence I don't know, until we get a Heil POV
2: Well, we're never going to get a Heil POV I just better not we're get ne- a Heil when- POV Well, he's, he hasn't he said that there won't be any more new POVs anywhere, so yeah, he said That dude said a lot of shit He has said a lot of shit I don't think we'll ever get a Heil POV because I don't think Heil right?
3: uh,
1: okay. yeah. I like the Glamour assumes we're actually getting another book
2: Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> say, I think that Hal's primary reason for existing is one, Brienne characterization, and two, so that Jamie can be really awkwardly jealous of him.
0: of yeah. like world for that. I'm not going to lie. How is like that? <laughs> All <laughs> right, listen, we got to wrap these things up because so, uh, my bladder's filling up here. So, Whitey, <laughs> do you have the thank <laughs> yous?
1: I hope to thank you this week. Um, and I just want to thank Eon for compiling these for me. Um, so we have three um, comments uh, coming from the Jamie Brienne board. That's Uh The first one is from Wonkins, who says, Yay for Lovecraft derailment in episode 23. So glad you, you enjoyed enjoy that one. Yeah. Um, we have another comment from Jimmo, who says, I honestly believe our fandom has the best podcast out of any fandom podcast. I've listened to podcasts before, but what I love about the JB podcast is that everyone comes together because of a love for this one ship. But there is also different topics being discussed. She says, there's also. Podcasts? Um, She says. There's also a lot of intelligent discussion and analysis sprinkled with humor, so a conversational point being made always ends with me laughing. Anyway, I thought I'd share my love. I can't wait for the podcast where Jamie and Brianna back together on ours. Me either, Jinmo, and thank you for your comment. We have another one from Stella who said, nice episode, looking forward to next week. By the way, I can't wait for Jamie and Brienne to make beautiful music together one way or the
0: other. (laughs) Sorry, thank you for that, Stella. Uh (laughs) Come on, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if she
3: gets that
1: or not. Uh, Anyway, from iTunes, um, we have a comment from ABBA1949, and she's left a couple of comments before. So thank you for continuing to update your comments. Is she from Australia,
0: YD? Get out. Get out, (laughs) (laughs) Do you have
1: one? Okay. Anyway, uh, Stella said, ABBA who's not from Australia, actually. I'm not
0: sure where she's Nobody from. I didn't is on iTunes, apparently.
1: Um, anyway, she says, this podcast <laughs> does honour to Jamie and Bryn's story by telling it in such a bawdy and joyful manner. I feel like I'm sitting at a table in Westeros listening to local gossip. Well done, podcasters, well done. So thank <laughs> you very much, Abba. <laughs> thank you. And I just wanted to mention we got another awesome piece of art based on our last episode from BLJ Gott and he or she says, today I listened to the 23rd episode of the Close the Door and Come Here podcast. I didn't expect to be mentioned in the thank you, it made my day. I'm the one who should be thanking you for making such a great podcast. I noticed you had some trouble pronouncing my username and she goes on to explain how to to pronounce (laughs) it. Um, And then she says, or he, all these sketches are inspired by the podcast. It just gives me so many ideas so that's such a lovely thing to say and we Artists. really do adore your art and everyone's oh, yeah. art that it's amazing. was amazing it was awesome yeah she did. She did some amazing sketches. She had one of a young Brienne in front of her looking glass that broke my heart.
3: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, and then she had a couple of funny ones. She had one of Brienne fighting Harry Potter based on what he <laughs> said. And then she had one of Jamie as the pretty princess maiden and his magic. Sword. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah,
3: thank you, B L
1: J Gott, and everyone else who left comments. We really do appreciate them very very much.
4: Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. And big thanks to Glam and Sandwiches, s- Sandwiches who stayed up. It's like morning for sandwiches now.
1: <laughs>
4: yeah, uh, hashtag. What is it, Sam? Is
3: it like 4.30 a.m. now? 3.30. Oh, God. Oh, God.
4: Sandwiches, thank you for doing this.
3: Bed. Thank you. Right. I thank you, Glam.
4: As well.
2: As well. Thank you. And you're, you're welcome. I'll come back, back for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just 10.30 for me. I'll come back um, anytime <laughs> to... <laughs> Talk about. We'll have Hile.
1: And Yeah, we gotta we have
2: Glam back for more
0: Hile. Talk. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't even know why I became like the Hile supporter. I
1: don't even like, care. That guy was
2: so dead. Well, a on- truth is, no one really cares about
0: <laughs> You're both wonderful, though. Thank you, and thank Excited. you to your Cheeky and Whitey too. <laughs> thank you, lot. To <laughs> pleasure, as thank always.
3: you,
1: and thank you for moderating.
0: Uh, bo- both of double you mod. <laughs> this double just mod do a double huge jerk.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> thank you,
0: <laughs> you no thank you oh thank you guys <laughs> so a part of the podcast okay so good night want, everybody thank you for listening <laughs> not done yet. wait 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 if you oh want what? to reach us on gmail you can at close the door and at gmail.com if you want to reach us on tumblr we're at tumblr we're at close the door and come here dot um, we're very active on the JB board so you can reach us at jamiebrianne uh, dot com there and uh, that's it. Okay, now we can say good night. All right, good. Good night everybody. Bye. We love Bye. You. Bye. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Mm-hmm. Wow.